For real, good morning, the Exchange Church. Uh, I'm so glad to see you this morning. Welcome to church. Uh, it's been an interesting morning. I'm really excited about today. Um, I don't know, I've got six pages of notes and I know that that's somewhat unrealistic. Uh, but I just sense the presence of God in this place and I know that the presence of God is in your home this morning. And I'm just really believing uh, that he's gonna speak to us on a whole new level. I, um, I've been sitting in my car in front of the church since eight o'clock this morning because I was um, the 11th person or I was over the one over limit. And so I, I did a mad dash to get here and I was gonna hit the stage speaking, which is why you heard me interrupt the video and say, good morning. I was, uh, adrenaline was rushing and I was really excited to see you, but I'll get my act together at some point. You know what I kind of feel like? I feel like the movie, I Am Legend um, with Will Smith and this virus hits and he's the only person alive in New York City. And th there are these mutant, um, whatever the mutant phenomena that is trying to kill him. I would call them like zombie-like creatures, but he's the only one. And every day uh, he goes out to some pier and he gets on his radio and he cranks the radio and he says uh, something to the extent of, if anyone is out there, meet me at the bridge at 12 noon. It's, you know, every day I'm here. Please let me know if you're there. And sometimes when I'm preaching, I kind of feel like I'm Will Smith on the bridge saying, hey, is anyone there? Anyone there? If you're there, meet me on the platform at 1030. Anyway, I'm excited because this week um, I was praying to the Lord about my sermon. I know we're talking about heaven and I'm super excited, but he shared something with me personally as the leader of the Exchange Church um, that kind of rocked my world. And I'm going to share that with you. So I'm headed in two directions in the next 30 minutes. So you're going to have to take notes, move quick with me. Go ahead and turn your Bibles right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because that's where I'm going to be. Um, but I'm going to preach a great sermon on heaven. And it's not great because I'm going to preach it great. It's great because the content is fantastic and it's on God's word. So I know that the content is great, but I'm going to preach a great message on heaven. And then I want to share with you a prophetic dream that I had this week. And I've shared it with my wife and I've wrestled uh, with, with God on the meaning of it. And what are you trying to speak to me and to us, the body of believers and so that's where I'm headed today. Stay with me. We'll, we'll get it all, all six pages. I think that we're going to get it. But first, I want to talk about heaven. Heaven. You know, everybody wonders what happens when we die. Is there a God? Is heaven real? And if so, does heaven have a plan for me? It's huge in our culture. This is the reason we've named this series, What's After ATX? What's next for Austin? So Father, we come before you today. God, I just thank you for what you're doing. God, in my heart, I thank you for what you can do in a, in a suburban, in the parking lot of a church in two hours, the presence that you can invade in that area. I know that you can invade in the homes that these people are sitting in. 
in the bedrooms that they're in, the living rooms, the outdoor spaces. God, there is no space off limits with you. So God, we invite you into this place we call home and we give you freedom to reign. We give you freedom to speak. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you're wanting to do in this moment of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Let everyone say amen, amen. You know, it's a huge topic. If you just scan the songs and the books and the television and the radio, you will definitely find that there's curiosity about the afterlife. There are talks of spirits, near-death experiences, heaven, hell, on and on and on. And even though we're curious, we're also, I think, in denial. Many of us don't want to think about death. We don't want to talk about it, even though last I checked, there is a really high percentage chance that you're going to die and I'm going to die. Um, At least last I checked, it was close to 100%. So we're all going to die at some point. Um, At least that's, that's in the cards of the typical life. Of course, this is not taking into account the rapture. That's a whole other sermon and a topic I'm very interested in. So I think, well, that's another sermon. I've already got two things I'm talking about. But let me just say, many of us don't want to talk about death. We're in denial. I was thinking, I heard this story about four guys who were playing poker. They weren't playing for money, don't worry. They were playing for the the plastic chips and the plastic chips represented who was gonna mow each other's yard. So it was holy, they weren't gambling, but four guys were playing poker one night and someone asked, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Another guy answered, he said, I want them to say I was a brilliant doctor who saved many lives. Another one said, I want them to say I was a devoted, loving father to my kids. The last guy looked at everyone and said, I want them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> look, he's moving. I, I'm sorry to let you know, I think we're saying that a lot these days. Look, He's moving because the reality is we are hearing more and more, thank God for technology, stories and reports of people who have died and then the doctor or the nurse or the family member has said, look, they're moving. They've come back to life. More and more people are saying that and it's not actually that it's happening more. It's happened since the beginning of time. Do you remember that Jesus raised a man named Lazarus. Jesus brought back Jairus' daughter. People have been coming back from the dead since the Bible was written, since as long as we have record of. It's nothing new. It's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, there is a book that I want to recommend to you. It's called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. And throughout this series, over the next four, five, six weeks, however long, we take this series, we're going to read this book together. Now, I understand bookstores might be closed and Amazon's kind of busy, uh, but I want to give you a free copy, a free copy of What's After Life. You can get that by going to audiobooks.com forward slash promo, audiobooks.com forward slash promo. 
And the promo code that you type in is what's after ATX. There are no spaces, no um, punctuation, and you can download an audiobook. There are more than 1,000 accounts of near-death experiences shaped that shape the insights of this book. It tells many of the stories, and I think you would love to read it. I will tell you, there's no need to enter your credit card information when you go to audiobooks.com forward slash promo. Um, you don't have to put in your credit card. However, you will need to create a free account and download the audiobooks app so that you can get your copy, your free copy of Imagine Heaven. Now, if you're like me and you like to feel the pages of a book while you're sitting outside and the, the wind is blowing through your hair and the clouds are passing under the sun, then Amazon.com, get your not free version of the book, okay? All right, let's jump right to our scripture. I'm gonna break our scripture up. We have a lot of reading today, so I'm not gonna have you stand because I want to I wanna do this in a different way, I suppose, and just talk verse by verse or a block of text by a block of text. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians, um, if you're looking for 1 Corinthians, it is right before 2 Corinthians. And if you're looking for chapter 15, it is right after chapter 14. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see in uh, 1 Corinthians that Paul seems to be addressing many concerns, questions, and sins of the church at Corinth. Um, as he comes to the close of the letter, he wants to refresh their memories on what the gospel is. So in 15.1, for example, which I'm not going to project, I'm just throwing this out there for you. It says, now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So he's talking to the church at Corinth and he says, I want to remind you of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then it says, he appeared to many, in verses five through eight. And then with that said, Paul makes it clear that Jesus being resurrected is fundamental to the gospel. Now in verses 13 through 32, which is not our text, but worth reading, Paul is powerfully arguing that if you don't believe in the resurrection of both Christ and the saints, there is no salvation for you. So you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus. You cannot call yourself a Christian and not believe in the afterlife, not believe in heaven, not believe that Jesus is coming to take the saints. And in that moment, in a twinkling of an eye, those have, who have died will raise and be transformed. And those who remain alive will in an instant be transformed into their heavenly bodies. We're gonna talk about that. And that le leads us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's start with the block of text 35 through 41. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body will they come? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed 
perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and, stars, the, and star differs from star in splendor. So in our passage, Paul addresses either a hypothetical or a very real question that the people in Corinth are having. The, the objection seems to be concerned with the mechanics of resurrection. In other words, how is God going to raise people who have already died? How, how is God going to put people back together who have died in fire and their bodies remain as ash? How is God going to put people back together that their, their physical body has decayed and they now are just a dead corpse with hair and bones that remain? And their fear was in this time that they didn't really want the dead walking around them because they were afraid of a zombie apocalypse. That's what their picture was in their mind. And, and Paul answers them harshly by calling them a fool. He says, anyone that objects to this, you're not just silly, you're a fool. If you don't get this, you, you will be made to look like a fool because you won't partake in salvation. It's sh such a sharp answer shows how important this truth is that there will be a resurrection. Now, I have one point that's found in verse 36 when he says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. I want you to write this down. Fools can't see life in dead things. Fools can't see life in dead things. Even though it looks like something is decaying, even though it looks like something is wasting away, only a fool can't see the potential that still remains. Every seed that is put in the ground has to die before it ever springs forth life. Fools can't see life in dead things. Then we see that Paul is making a comparison. He makes a comparison to plants. And he says, when you sow a seed in the ground, what happens at harvest is the same seed raised up. No, it's not. You don't put a seed in the ground and suddenly you get a big seed. You put a seed in the ground and then you get a tree. So it produces something different. He's creating a comparison. And I think maybe our familiarity with nature, it blunts the truth. In other words, we see it so much that we don't see it anymore. We don't see the reality that we put an acorn in the ground and a majestic oak tree comes up. We don't put two and two together and understand that man and wife, I'm sorry, man and woman becomes husband and wife and they do what they do to create a baby. From that becomes a living, breathing baby. We don't understand that seeds often look very different than the thing that becomes alive, but it still points back to its origin. That brings me to point number two. Our life today is a seed for eternity. 
Our life is a seed for eternity. When we get to heaven, things are going to look and feel and be so much different. You are going to have so much mental clarity, it's unreal. You're going to encounter so much peace and, and love and joy from, from the moment you take your last breath here and you open your eyes to eternity. Your world is going to be totally transformed. It's going to be a majestic oak tree, but it still has to start with a seed. Your life today is the seed for eternity. Don't undervalue the power of a seed because without the seed, there would never be a tree. Your life today matters. The things that you're thinking today matters. The things that you do today matters. Your life is but a seed for eternity. Then Paul, he shifts the focus. He, he shifts it in verse 42. His teaching takes a turn. So we'll read that and pull out a couple of points. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 41. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body but that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives his own body. Not all flesh, I feel like, I'm reading the wrong verses, aren't I? Ah, 42, I'm sorry. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Do you see this? We're going back and forth like this pendulum swing saying the natural, spiritual, natural, spiritual. Verse 47 says the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. Here he's comparing Adam and Eve. I'll talk about, no, Adam and Jesus. I'll talk about that in a moment. But in verse 42 through 44, what we understand is everyone has a body. Everyone has a body. When you go to heaven, you're not just a spirit floating on a white fuzzy cloud like the smoke that is in this auditorium. You will have a very real body. There's a story of this woman named Sheila in the book, Imagine Heaven. And Sheila had a a peanut allergy and actually coded from it. She died and the doctors were frantically working on her and, and she recounts the story that her spirit um, raised up and she found herself at ceiling level. And she was looking down and she was able to recount all of the details in that room, even so much as a doctor who had white patent leather shoes on and, and had forgotten to wear the scrubs over the shoes, whatever you call those. And he, they had made reference to it during that moment. And then she traveled out and she saw the nurses station and the nurses were hustling and bustling. And all of a sudden she said a tunnel opened up and she was transported to a place with very bright light and she saw her family members that had passed away and they hugged. 
And there are countless stories like that in this book. You know, sometime last year, I was sitting bedside of an elderly woman. Her family was in the room, probably 15 people in the room. She was in her final moments. She was coherent and able to talk. And we started talking about heaven. And she knew the Lord. She did not attend the exchange church, but um, she had met me a couple of times and I was actually able to pray with her husband moments. He was on hospice and he was headed off a year prior. And so I was uh, the last pastor he saw and spent some time with him before he entered heaven. And so she wanted to spend time with me because her husband did. And so I showed up at the house and I was sitting next to her bed and her sister was in bed with her. And it's so funny. She, she had no strength only hours or days left to live, and she was determined that she was going to put her makeup on because the reverend was coming. And she looked fantastic, and I told her how beautiful she was, and we started talking about heaven. And her recollection of, or not her recollection, her story of what she thought heaven was going to be was, she said, well, I think when I die, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel the presence of God, and I'm gonna see my husband, I'm going to not see him in the body, but I'm going to know he's around. And I'm going to sense love and peace, and I'm just going to see a lot of colors all around. Now, of course, I knew that that wasn't really what heaven was going to be, but I I looked at the daughter who was the one who had called me over, and the daughter kind of gave me a little wink like, that's good, that's good. And she said, Mom, I'm glad that makes you happy. And so I knew in that moment that that was... That was a moment of peace for her to think that's what heaven was going to be like. And I got in my car and I left and I started to cry because I thought, man, if those are her only expectations of heaven, I really wish I could be there when she stepped into eternity and realized that she was not just going to see colors and this fuzzy feeling of peace and love and that her husband is somewhere in this space. She was going to stand face to face before her maker and she was going to embrace her husband and she was going to hear kids laughing and playing. I, I just got so excited for her and it was only a day or two later that she went on to be with the Lord. And I can't wait. When I get to heaven, I'm going to find her and I'm going to say, were you surprised? Can you believe this is really what it was? Because I know this. There are, there are stories after stories after stories in this book of people who say the moment they died, they hovered over their body, most of them, and they couldn't actually tell if they were dead because they felt more alive than they ever had. They, they saw their body, but they weren't sure. So my point is, everybody has a body. You don't have to worry about getting up to heaven and just, just floating around. You are going to have a body. I've already put in my request on the kind of body that I would like in heaven. Paul is talking here about the first and the last Adam. And he's comparing them because when God breathed air into the lungs of Adam, Adam became our first physical being. But when Jesus came and laid down his life for us, he became our our last Adam. He became the, 
the first spiritual being that gave us access to God. You see, Jesus is heavenly in origin and in quality. He's not just spiritual in origin, but he is heavenly in quality. Verse 51 through 52, let's pull out a point from there. Because I love how he says, listen, I want to tell you a mystery. And anytime someone says, I want to tell you a secret, I want to tell you a secret. What do you do? You lean in because you want the goods. And here the writer is saying, listen, I want to tell you a secret in verse 51. I want to tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning not everyone's going to die. There will be people like me and you, I believe, that will encounter the rapture very, very soon when Jesus comes back on a cloud to receive the saints. And in an instant, our bodies are going to change. Verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. That brings us to an exciting point. In an instant, we change. Aren't you glad that um, when when Jesus comes back, it's not going to be a version of the end game where we turn to dust particles and little butterflies and slowly we drift away? We're standing there at the cafe ordering a coffee and Jesus comes back and we just slowly start to disappear in front of everyone. No, that's not going to happen. The Bible says in an instant, you're going to change. One curiosity that I have, I don't know. I don't know the final answer on this and we could debate it, I suppose. I wonder if when I leave, when God calls me home, where do my clothes go? Are they going to go to the ground or are they just going to disintegrate by the power of God? Is it going to be burned up because God has transformed me into a spiritual being like that? I, I don't know. I personally uh, have seen movies where, where Jesus comes back and the clothes go to the ground, but when the camera pans to them, they're all folded. I'm not sure that that's really how it's going to be. Like God, God has angels to help us get there, but then he sends a cleaning crew to fold all the clothes left by and tie all the shoes. I don't think, I don't know. I don't know. In an instant, we change. Verse 54 through 58, my final points. And my time is running out, so I'm going to cover this pretty quickly because I, I need to get to the dream that I had. Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that you, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I have two points for you. I want to throw them out to you real quick. The first point from this, death is not the threat. Sin is. Death won't kill you, but sin will. 
Death is not the threat. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I just want to encourage you with my final point today. Stand firm. Stand firm in this life that we call a seed. Stand firm. There are, there are a lot of people watching today that are asking themselves if heaven is really real. Is, is this just too good to be true? And I, I want to say to you that heaven really, really, really is real. You can see a, a bit of heaven when you just look around. God desperately wants to bring his kingdom to earth. And, and I want to challenge you over the next 30 days or however long we talk about heaven. Wouldn't it be great? I don't know. I was going to say, wouldn't it be great if on the last sermon of heaven, like the rapture happened, and then we were like, oh yeah, this is the greatest il sermon illustration of all time. But uh, anyway, four weeks of heaven and this book, I really would like you to get this, get your free copy today if you can. Again, you can get it on Amazon if you want the hard, hard copy. Can I, can I share with you my dream? And I may come back and I may come back and, and choose to say God's shown me more because I don't yet believe that I have every single thing and aspect of this dream, but I just want to throw it out to you. This week, as I was um, praying about the sermon, the Lord told me, I think it was the Lord at least, the Lord said, Trey, the people of the Exchange Church can find a great sermon online 24 hours a day. And I think he said, there are, there are a whole lot better preachers than you. I'm not sure if that was God or the devil, but I think I heard God say, there are a whole lot better preachers than you. I appreciate your desire to preach a good sermon but what the people of the Exchange Church, those who call you their pastor, need most from you right now is not a good sermon that they can find online 24 hours a day. What they need from you is what you're hearing from the Lord as the under shepherd of this house and how it impacts this local body and the people that are in tune and aligned with where you're going and and what I've called you to accomplish. And that provided me some relief. But then I realized, God, I'm not really sure what to make of a lot of things right now. I know that my faith is stronger than ever before. I know that my love for God's word is more intact and thriving more than it ever has before. But God, what does the future hold? for America, for the world, for, for me and my family and the Exchange Church. And for three nights in a row, I went to bed asking the Lord to give me a prophetic dream that night. And for two of the nights I woke up and did not have one. On the third night, I prayed again <laughs> and I woke up with what I believe to be one of the most powerful and prophetic dreams that I've, I've ever had. 
and I'm going to attempt to break it down and explain it to you today, but the reality is I think it goes much deeper than even what I have to share with you today. It's one of the shortest dreams I've ever had. I'm a dreamer, so I believe in the prophetic, the, the move of God to where he releases things to people through visions and dreams or feelings, gut feelings. Some things we call instinct is really the Holy Spirit imparting things to us. My, my strongest prophetic leaning is dreams. I dream all the time. Um, quite often I have to pray to the Lord to help me not dream so that I can physically rest so that my mortal body can catch up to what he's trying to download into my spirit through dreams. But I had a dream and I want to paint a picture of it for you real quick. It was I saw the face of an analog clock. An analog clock is, it has the hour hand, the minute hand and the numbers all around. And, and I saw three and I saw six and I saw two and four and five, um, half of the analog clock was perfectly bl blacked out. It was almost like a, a very odd eclipse. You know, I, I don't know if on camera you can see, just imagine with me, this is black, totally black. You couldn't see any numbers, it was black. And in my dream, I saw the sec, not the second hand, the minute hand moving um, for every minute. I saw it at one minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. There's a one there. I saw it hit six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven is just after two, right? And then I saw it hit hit twelve. The minute 12. And it froze. And then I woke up. Now I know that a dream is from God, not because, um, well, typically there's a lot of detail and I see it very clearly, but most dreams that I have from God, 100% of the dreams that I have from God, it's in the waking up that I recognize it's his spirit because I feel him so distinctly strong. And so I woke up and I remembered it in great detail. And I started asking him, Lord, what does it mean? What does it mean? I know you're trying to tell me something. What does it mean? And so I've wrestled or maybe God's, God's taken a few days trying to get it through my thick skull, what he's trying to tell me. Uh, but I think I have some things I want to talk to you about. And I'm already over time, um, but I'm going to take just a couple of minutes. What was visible was one through six. God loves numbers. God loves numbers. He's like, he loves to play around with numbers. And this dream is a dream of numbers. One through six. Six is the number of man. So there was some, the, the right side was visible. 
up to the number of man. So the things of humanity appeared visible in my dream, and then it went dark. It was unseen. I said, Lord, why did it stop on the number of 12? And instantly he told me, 12 is the number for government. And when I told Carrie the dream, I was like, 12 is the number of government. And it feels like our government is shut down. Nothing's happening. All the stores are like, it feels shaky. And that was the assumption I was making. But the Lord uh, corrected me later and said, I'm not talking about the governments of the world. That's what you can see. I'm talking about the government of the kingdom. You feel like the government of the kingdom has stopped in what you see. You might be asking yourself, God, where are you right now? In all the things that I can see, it feels like chaos. I'm disturbed. I'm concerned about the future. God, I need, I need the kingdom of God to continue on. I need your presence to invade my thoughts. I need your presence to invade my peace and my patience. And, and from what we see, it looks like the government, the kingdom of God has stopped. And I thought about that and I said, well, I, I can see that. But Lord, why is, why is 6 through 12 blacked out. How come we can't see that in the dream? And he said, you can't see that in the dream because that's where I'm working. If you're not careful, you'll look at the minute so closely that you don't see the hour. You see, there's no hour hand that's visible to us. And I said, okay, God, what are you doing in this hour? Tell me, I need to know. And he took me to the numbers. So I want to tell you what God's doing in this hour. What I believe this dream is telling me God is doing in this hour. And this is our prayer focus as a church. This is our hope and our peace and our joy as a church. The number seven, what does the number seven represent in scripture? It represents perfection, making complete. You can trust this, even though you can't see it in the, with the human eye, in the spirit, if you ask God to give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear, you will see that God is perfecting something in you. He is perfecting something in the global church. He is perfecting something, making wrong things right in the world. We, we have to believe that we don't see it in the natural, but this is the hour that God is working. He is perfecting things in us. Then you go to the number eight. What does eight mean in scripture? Eight represents new beginnings, new beginnings. It also means man's true rebirth, being reborn, born again. Eight is the number of circumcision. 
where there's cutting away of the flesh. In this hour, what the Lord is doing for his people, he is causing a cutting away of the flesh, a rebirth, a renewing of the spirit and of the mind and of the hope that we have. In this hour, the church will no longer play church. The church is going to be the church that God intended it to be. That's what God is shifting and moving around in this hour. We can't see it with our natural eyes. It would appear that the kingdom of God has frozen still, but it hasn't. There's a new birth coming. Number nine. Number nine is a very interesting number. It's written in the Bible that Jesus died at the ninth hour, which was actually at 3 p.m. Also, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared nine times to his apostles. There are nine spiritual gifts of God, such as faith, wisdom, miracles, prophecy, and some others. You can look that up. You may have heard of the Day of Atonement. This day is a holy day for all Christians, and it takes place on the ninth day of the seventh Hebrew month. According to the Bible, nine is also the number of the fruits of the Spirit. So it's not only the spiritual gifts of God, it is also the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, goodness, kindness, and peace. Number nine is also, number nine is not talked a lot, a whole lot in the Bible, but it is an extremely powerful number. And, and I think, I think God is really focusing on number nine in this hour for us. Number nine is also the hour of judgment. There were nine generations from Adam to Noah and from Noah to Abraham. That tells us that not only is nine the number of judgment, it's the number of covenant, covenant relationship where things are solidified. Things are Things are not just cut away, but things are really rooted and grounded and solidified. Number nine, we also know that the ninth hour of the day in the Bible, it says that uh, Cornelius, who was the centurion of Rome, had a vision on the ninth hour of the day, and he was told that he should contact the apostle Peter. Also, there were nine groups who used to practice sorcery, and they are mentioned in the Old Testament. According to the Bible, nine is also perceived as a symbol of patience and harmony, as well as a symbol of development and creation. There are nine months to pregnancy. Nine is a symbol of patience and creation. We need to also have in mind that the number nine is made up of three times three, which means nine is a perfect number that can symbolize the perfect will of God. All right, I've said a lot about nine and, and also in the secular world, the number nine represents a lot of superstitions. You can Google that and find that all day long, the number nine. For example, if the number nine is in your address, uh, it, it said that you, you can expect a new baby in your home. If you get a new home and it's, you know, 309, there's going to be a new baby. That's superstitious, but even still, thank God, my address is 305. Um, but there there are superstitions with the number nine. Now, what does all of this mean? What does it tell us? On one hand, we have patience being developed, gentleness and kindness. We have a physical move of God in this time, in the prophetic, in miracles, in healing. God is, God is, is 
is going to be unleashing his power in a way in this season that we've never seen the likes of before. We also will see people come into alignment with the nature of God, the, the fruit of the Spirit, in a way that we've never seen before. That's on one hand. But on the other hand, there are false prophets, there are sor- there's sorcery, there are evil, evil doers, all of that. And so nine is also judgment. That tells me from my dream that you and I need to get really good. And this should be a prayer focus of ours to ask the Lord for wisdom and discernment during this time so that there is a, a proper alignment of our heart with truth, with the will of God, what God is doing and where he is going during this season. Number 10, another area that I believe God, 10 represents law and order. It signifies testimony, responsibility, completeness of order. We find that in the 10 commandments. We find that in the tithe, 10% tithe. In Genesis one, we find that uh, the phrase God said is there 10 times, which is a testimony of his creative power. God gave the 10 commandments to man. 10 therefore represents man's responsibility to keep the commandments and just to simply obey God. I believe in this time, God is, God is shifting our priorities We're not going to be a church. I'm not talking about the exchange. I'm talking globally. We're not going to be a church that obeys the whims and the the affections of our heart. We're going to be a church that obeys the word of God. He's creating a shift in the church. 10 represents the tithe. A tithe is 10% of our earnings, and it's a testimony of our faith to the Lord. During this time, the the global church is going to see a a true leaning into trusting the Lord with all all of their wealth, all of their possessions, all of their positions, all of their authority. And then number 10, not sorry, number 11. Number 11 represents chaos and rebellion. Chaos and rebellion. But it also represents promises. If you and I are not careful during this season, we will try to find God so much in the chaos and the rebellion that we miss him in the promises. The Gospel of John records 11 very special promises. I'm not going to go through them. I don't have time. I'm already over But I'm asking you, church, please pray. Pray that the words of your mouth are speaking the promises of God, that you are not echoing the chaos of society. God needs us. God wants us to partner with him in this moment so that his will is made perfect in this season. That happens in the 11th hour. We have to partner what we're saying with the promises that God has for you and for I. And then number 12, which was also hidden in my dream, represents God's power, his authority, his government. What's funny, it was represented here in the visible. The thing that I thought was stopped, but he, he hid it here. This is the hour of his ultimate power, his ultimate authority. Twelve disciples he used to spread his kingdom. Heaven. Heaven has 12 gates. This place you and I are going to go at, it represents his kingdom. 12 
also was the age where Jesus was recorded saying his first words. In this season where you feel so cut off from your church family and you feel so cut off from the promises of God and you feel so cut off from whatever, whatever it is that you feel like God should be doing right now, I just want to encourage you and remind you everything is gonna be all right. Everything is gonna be exactly the way God has orchestrated it, exactly the way he has commanded it to be in your life, in your children's life, in your spouse's life, in your home, in this church. God has it all in control. And we may think that he's standing still, but he's not. He may be hiding from us the very things that he's doing because maybe we can't handle the complexity and the breadth and the fullness of what he's wanting to do. But church, we need to be praying that we have eyes to see and ears to hear. The Bible tells us that in the end times, even the very elect will be deceived. Now is not the time to get on your political platform. Now is not the time to get on your gender platform. Now is not the time to get on your sexual orientation platform. Now is your time to get on the platform of Jesus Christ, the one true King who was, who is, and will come again very soon. This is the hour where we push aside our own agendas, our own preferential uh, examples and philosophies, and we embrace the spirit of truth that is trying to permeate our hearts and our homes and our lives. You may not see what God is doing, but that does not mean he's not moving. Church, at least at the Exchange Church, I just want to encourage all of us, spend more time in prayer, spend more time in the word, and let's keep this as a focus. Let us pray. Oh God, I love you so much. I thank you so much for what you're doing in the hearts and in the lives of your people. God, you have surrounded us with such a great church family, people right now watching from all over America. God, I thank you that you are raising us up as an army to embrace your truth, to speak hope to the hurting, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not to run and hide and, and hunker down and shield ourselves out of fear, but God, we're going to step out in love. We're going to be the solution and the answer to what ails this nation and this world. God, I ask in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as you work in the ninth hour, in the ninth hour where you are releasing your gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, that the people watching right now, watching live right now, watching recorded, agree with us, there are going to be spiritual heavenly visitations, dreams from you, visions from you. God, we are going to have encounters. The Bible says that we entertain angels unaware. We're going to have angels walking up to our door, just speaking hope and life, delivering food, doing whatever it is, God, that you send them to do. God, we just release that right now over this congregation. God, we say yes to the move of God in our hearts, that will expand out to the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you.